You're listening to the Clarity Digital Marketing Show with your host and author of The Clarity Project, Liam Thompson, helping you reach, influence, and attract more customers or clients online. Check us out online over at claritydigitalmarketing.com. So welcome to the Clarity Digital Marketing Show. Today I've got Dean Edelson on. This is episode nine. Dean is a copywriter and basically writes words that gets people to make sales. Dean, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Liam. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Do you want to, uh, do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit more about what you do? Sure. Um, I'm a direct response copywriter and marketer, marketing consultant. And I work in various niches. I got my start, I kind of ended up here in a very uh, odd way. I, um, I did stand-up comedy for 15 years here in the States and started off in Chicago, New York City. This was during the heyday of the 80s. And it was just a great time. So uh, really, really enjoyed it. And then I fell into, so I was in New York. Then I was in Hollywood writing screenplays. And I guess I started my copywriting career writing for film and television. Uh, a lot of different TV shows that you might be familiar with. I, hundreds and hundreds of uh, promos for Seinfeld, Frasier, Grace Under Fire, Everybody Loves Raymond, all those, a lot of must-see TV and popular shows of the, of the 90s. And I was also doing a lot of film and movie trailers as well. Wrote copy and produced spots for uh, Fox, um, Fox Sports and kids programming. So you're not even called a copywriter when you're doing this in the entertainment industry. You're, you, we were called writers and producers because we would write the copy for these 30-second, 15-second, 10-second spots and, and two-minute movie trailers. And you'd have to marry film clips or TV clips with the copy. So you were there writing and producing the whole spot with with a video editor sitting in a in an in an editing bay, and that's where I really got my got my start, and uh, and then I became a real estate investor, and I still do that. And then was writing for copy uh, for my own products and services, and I started writing for other uh, real estate investors in the commercial and mostly in the uh, residential real estate space, and then I branched out into other. Niches. So I've been a full-time copywriter, direct response copywriter, I would say, for, uh, for the past seven years. And that doesn't include my experience of doing it in Hollywood. So it's been a, just a weird path my life has taken, but uh, this is where I ended up. Do you, do you think there's, a, do you think there's a, a smooth transition from stand-up comedy to, to Hollywood into copywriting? Do you think it's, it's been smooth and it all links into each other? Oh, man, that's a great question. And here, I remember this. So this, this was a bump in the road. After ending my stand-up career, I, I played cards. I played poker in Hollywood, a bunch of stand-up comics and comedy writers. And uh, you had to have a strong stomach because, you know, everybody was trying to one-up the other person, the other guy. And this is men and women, too. So if you were sitting at the card table, you... It was just hilarious because you would just be laughing for three to four hours, uh, playing cards, having fun. 
And one of the guys at the table, this is when I first got off the road, when I stopped stand-up comedy, was working at Warner Brothers. And uh, he was writing for their television, their sitcom division, and they needed a, uh, a copywriter. They needed a new writer and producer. And I said, hey, I'll give it a shot. So I went in, and this guy was one of the, one of the uh, heads of the department there. And the second day I got there, he, he went on vacation for two weeks. So I got thrown into the lion's den, not knowing what was going on. And I had to write all of these TV and radio promos for two weeks on my own, not knowing format or what's going on. So I had to learn on my feet. So when you say ask if it was a smooth transition, uh, in that sense, it was, it was a little bumpy. But I can tell you that what I learned in stand-up certainly helped me because stand-up comedy is a, uh, is a direct response platform. You've got to get a laugh. That's the only response you're going for in comedy. You're standing up on stage, and that joke, that story you're telling, had better get a laugh. And if it doesn't, you'll lose your market. You'll lose your audience. So it's the same thing, what we're trying to do here in any market, whether we're selling for the fitness market, health and beauty, finances, manufacturing distribution for professionals, no matter what we're doing, online or offline, we need to know who our market is so we need because we, we have to and then we need to know how to deliver that message so that that market responds. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of stand-up comedy. So me, me and my wife will go to comedy gigs whenever we can. But what, what I love is the, the, I like the little small intimate ones. I love it when you go to a, you go to a big club and there's a, you, you've got one of, the, one of the big guys come along and they're, they're testing out their stuff. So I've been to a few clubs when they would do that. I, mean, I don't know if you guys in the States, of Lee Evans, is it is a UK stand up com comedian? Mm -hmm. He's been in a few movies, so uh, I've, I've I've seen him do that. And uh, I went to uh, you'll know this comedy club. It's in Sunset in LA. Is it the Comedy Store? Yes, the Comedy Store. Yeah, I went I went there a few years ago, and Whitney Cummins came on, and mm -hmm. she's done a little bit of uh, TV writing as well. Yes, it's, uh, I mean, that's the great thing about going to comedy clubs. You never know who's going to pop in. And no matter how big or how famous somebody is, the audience will only give them, they'll be amazed and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe Seinfeld is popping in. I can't believe it's Chris Rock. I can't believe Billy Connolly's on stage. Anybody. But they'll give them five minutes. But if they're not funny after those five minutes, forget it. Which is why... Guys like Seinfeld and Chris Rock or Ray Romano and Brian Regan, they, they like try, they'll try their new material out in front of these audience because they are not forgiving. And if it's not funny, they know they have to, they have to do the work. I guess that's the stand-up comedy equivalent of testing the market and, and, and putting the control out there. <laughs> yeah, and what's the control? It's those jokes that keep working over and over and over again because they've already proven that they've worked. But then when they have to write a new joke, a new piece of copy, ah, they've got to start split testing, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess the, the, the sense of humor that you guys have in the States is very different to what 
we have a slightly different, we, we would be more sarcastic humor in the UK and Ireland. Uh, that's because you're a more British, you're, you know, you're a more bitter culture. <laughs> that, that, that's very true. So, <laughs> do, do you think in terms of sales copy that the, the art of influence and getting someone to, I, I, for want of a better word, direct response is, is the art of getting someone to respond to an ad only having seen it once. Would you agree with that? It's definitely, it's definitely persuasion. persuasion. Robert Cialdini would call it influence. And that's what, that's what direct response is. It's getting somebody to respond in whatever way it is you're looking to do. You're getting them to take an action. They need to respond emotionally so that they feel compelled enough to, and if we're talking about marketing, online marketing, either to, to give you their email, to click a link, to go watch the video, to subscribe to a newsletter or your email list, to buy something. So those are all calls to, act, calls to action that follow that direct response. Per per persuasion is such a, such a huge topic and, and you could spend you could spend weeks talking about it, but if, if you could cut persuasion down into a few simple steps that, that anyone could use, what, what, would you, what would you say it is? One, the, the conversation better be you-directed, meaning nothing to do with you. It better be 100% you-directed. So there's, I mean, in terms of influence, if you want to go that way, there's, you know, there's scarcity, there's reciprocity, all those elements, those six big elements that Cialdini talks about with influence that help persuasion. And in terms of your copy, it really helps to have those elements in there. You've got to know who you're talking to. You have to know who your audience is. And it, you can compare this to, to, to dating, to purchasing, to whatever... Whatever the situation is, your eye needs to be focused in basic terms on the prize. It can't be focused on you. Once you get to the me-me, you're dead in the water. When you start asking questions, you're showing interest in your audience. When you know your, your target audience's pain points, what their pleasure points are, and you start speaking to those, you get closer and closer to getting something from them you get the persuasion become stronger and stronger. There's a, lot of, there's a big mistake that a lot of businesses do actually make when, when they're writing a copy for the websites or the sales pages is that they, they somehow believe that people are interested in their product and, and what they have to sell. Yes. Interested in them as a business. And the classic, the classic one is, well, from service businesses, they want to tell you how long they've been qualified or what qualifications they have or how long they've been in business. And the, the, the fact is that people don't really care about that stuff, do they? They don't. That stuff doesn't matter at all. All, all we all carry about, care about is ourselves. We're hardwired that way because we all operate first and foremost from our, from our you know, the base of our brain, our amygdala, which is, is all survival. It's the avoidance of pain and the pursuit of pleasure. Plain and simple. Very Tony Robbins. Very Tony Robbins. <laughs> Tony Robbins. <laughs> One of the, uh, I, I, it's, it's not strictly a marketing book, 
but one of the one of the I would call it one of the better marketing books I've ever read is Neil Strauss's The Game. Oh gosh, yes. And I mean, look at that. It's total persuasion. It's That's what it is. How how do you pick up a woman? Yeah. And sales sales, I guess, works exactly the same way. It's the same, you're trying to persuade someone to either give you your credit card details or give them your email address. And I guess the the underlying strategies are, are similar. Yes, they are. It's no different. And if you can approach a lot of your marketing as if you're going out on a date or trying to woo a customer, a, a prospect into your store, into your online store, into your world, you're going to need, you're going to be using the same exact tools. What, is, what makes that other person tick? What are they interested in? Where does it hurt? How can I make that hurt go away? And if you could do those things, you've got a customer, you've got a fan, you've got a date. <laughs> so, so what's the first thing that you would do then when you're, uh, when you, when you, when you're sitting down to write some copy for someone? So if I'm writing copy for someone, the first thing I need to know is one, who am I speaking to? Who are my words speaking to? Who is my specific audience? And, and this term has been thrown out there and bandied about. Who's your avatar? Who's that ideal client or prospect? What is their, what's their makeup? What's their age range? Specific, you want to know the specifics. What gender are they? How old are they? What are their likes, their dislikes? What are their pain points? What do they read? What movies do they like to watch? What's their faith? What do they believe in? What do they not believe in? So the more you know, the more you can speak to them on, with using their language, their phrases, knowing what, because that will help you on, a, on, a, on an emotional level, what makes them tick and what triggers they have. So that's where, that's where I start. And then I'll go out and ask the market, where's the pain? What can I give you that will relieve that pain instead of assuming? This, like we were talking, like you were just talking about, one of the biggest mistakes a market will make in this sense is that they get an idea and they think, oh, this is great. I'm going to build this. I'm going to create this. And then they find out nobody wants it. They made an assumption that was purely based on their, on their idea instead of going out and doing some research and finding out what the market wanted first. I had a business coach who once said to me, he goes, you want to make a billion dollars? Three things to make a billion dollars. Find out what they want. Go out and get it and give it to them. Those are the three steps to becoming a successful business. It's, 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 it's classic because all, all, the, uh, all, all the top marketers and top gurus will tell you that you need to start with your audience, build your audience first, and then, and then find out how to serve them. And I guess that's what you've essentially done. Because we had a bit of a chat before we got on the call about one of the projects that you were working on with your wife. And uh, you, you said that you just went out and asked the audience what, what they wanted and give it to them. Yes, because my wife and I made an assumption for years about, oh, this will be cool to give them. This is what they want. So we made these assumptions. And they were, they were way off base. And it doesn't matter. 
I mean, you can lose by an inch or you can lose by a mile, but you still lose. Right? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. So we went out and we did the research and we found out how the audience was, what, how were they talking? What language were they using? And then we looked at the data and we said, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're asking for this. So then we went out and we built a, a landing page and a, and, a, and a lead magnet that said, okay, we've got this. Here it is. And our opt-in rate has been consistently through the roof. It's been 63.5% for this one landing page. And we've done this twice now. We're getting the same exact figures. We're getting 63% on both landing pages on an opt-in. Because, and we're not guessing or assuming anything. We're using the language that the market is using, how they were expressing themselves, how they were expressing the pain, where the gap was, and we're just mirroring it right back to them not geniuses in any way we didn't make this up so obviously you said that you were surprised by the 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 information that you got back how did you get that info in the first place how did you how did you actually ask the market what they wanted well we went to what we did was we went to for our niche we went to amazon and we read okay are there there's books on this so we plugged in the right words, came up, saw a bunch of books, and we started reading reviews. And then with those reviews, we saw that, oh my gosh, here's what they're talking about. We didn't look at the book reviews, we looked at the emotional responses that readers had with what they were, um, you know, with, with how they were leaving their comments. It's like going to Facebook on a, on a rant forum and seeing what people are ranting about. That's valuable stuff. Because when somebody's ranting, there's a lot of pain there. Whether it's about politics, whether it's about their weight, their body, their looks, uh, whether it's about not having the right, you know, where to invest their money. Whatever it is, people are ranting. And when people rant, there's emotion behind it. So pay attention to that and pay attention to the language they're using. So you think it's better to look at the negative reviews than the positive reviews because that's going to give you more info? What I just, what I think you'll find is that if you look at the world as a whole, there's a lot more negativity than optimism in the way people express themselves. Because if you go on Facebook, I mean, which is a huge global forum for people to voice anything they want, do you find a lot of people saying, my life is great today. I pet the cat and I had a cup of coffee and I looked out over the beautiful sunset. People don't talk like that for most. Some people do, but most of the talk and the chat is what people don't have, is what they lack in their life, is how their life is not enough. So, I, so if I'm looking and if my product is an aspirin, which is what we do as marketers, and any business is filling it is taking away pain. They have the aspirin that takes away the pain. You can look at anything. You could look at this platform that we're speaking on right now. Well, what does it do? This gives, hey, this takes away the pain. 
of a telephone conference call, which is very unreliable a lot of times. So now we're on an internet web-based uh, platform. Why? Because it takes away the pain and they're like, oh man, it cut out again and this and that. But this, this platform that we're using, this is great because there's no glitches, there's no hangups. We can see each other if we want to do a video chat, right? So that's what people, that's, how, that's what business is all about. It's yeah, <laughs> we just have to remember to press the record button. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so we actually recorded this last week and had a great little chat and someone forgot to press the record button. Yeah, that, 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 that was me. We're not going to name names, but his initials <laughs> are Liam Thompson. So I, I can see the little red flashing recording sign that's above me, so I know, I know it's all cool for this week. But uh, it's, fu it's funny. Funny you should t talk about that because... So me and my wife have just had a little baby. He's, he's coming up on four months and we're getting to the stage where we're moving him on to formula or tr trying to, as, as the case may be. And we've been doing a little bit of research on the different brands. And, and, and my, my, my wife is hugely influenced by, by brands and, and status and luxury items. And, and there's a product on the market called Aptimil. I don't know if you guys have it in the States. Uh, and, and this was the one that she wanted. She's like, yeah, this is, this is the best brand. This is the one I want to go and have a look at. And then there's another one, I think it was called SMA. And she's like, no, we're definitely not buying that. That's a cheap one. So I actually did the research on the two products. And it turns out they're exactly the same product. They're made in exactly the same factory. And they've got exactly the same ingredients. They are just branded and marketed to different different populations and mm -hmm. uh i was I, I personally i wasn't surprised but she was like i can't believe it she was like really shocked so this goes back to the 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 case in point that you were talking about dean is that the uh the the pain point for the people who want to get their kids moved on to formula is that they want something that's as close to breast milk as possible and this is what these products are trying to sell does that make sense? It does. And that's the trigger point yeah. for your wife. Well, your wife's trigger points are that similarity and status. Yeah. Because if she could buy the more expensive thing, and then when she's talking with her friends saying, oh, I use this, that's a, that's a status play. But ingredients-wise, it makes no difference. You're someone in this instance that doesn't, you know, you could care less. It's the same stuff. Let's buy the cheaper stuff. It's got the exact same ingredients. So do you think that, that status or, or status, as you guys call it, is, is the number one driver for buying behaviors? No, it's one of them. And that's what's, when it comes to copy, you've, that is one of the things about knowing your audience. So if you look at what's the difference between a Timex watch and a Rolex watch? One's more expensive and it's, it's, it's a status symbol. It's status. That's it. They both tell time. They both tell great time. And it's all, and when it comes to the business, it's all a matter of framing and positioning. David Ogilvy was brilliant at this when the Rolls Royce and the Volkswagen. Beef with yeah. 
You know, they couldn't, Rolls-Royce wanted to increase their sales. And then he came up with this, he was riding in a Rolls-Royce because he couldn't figure out, okay, how can we sell more of these? And he was riding in the Rolls, and you may know this story, and there was no sound in the entire car. It was just this quiet ride. This was, I believe, back in the late 50s. But he only, there was one little sound, and he, and he asked the driver, he said, what's that sound? I, I, I could barely hear it. Right, it's the clock on the dashboard. And that was the marketing campaign where the only thing you can hear is the ticking of the clock. Sales went through the roof. That's a total status play, a total status play. A Rolls gets you from point A to point B, just like a bicycle does, or just like a Chevy does. But it's a status play. So that's just one of the triggers. Some people's trigger is cost. I just want the cheapest thing. If you can do it, the job, great, fantastic. It's, 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 it's funny because uh, in, in, in the time where I live, we have an Aston Martin showroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to live on the road. We, we moved house about six months ago, but I used to live on the end of the road where the, this showroom was. So I'd walk past the Aston Martins every day. And uh, you would get some of the used ones that would be sitting outside. And there's always a sticker that said, lowest prices. And I thought, I don't think people that are buying Aston Martins are, are potentially shopping on price. Yes, I agree. I agree. And it would be fun to go into that showroom and say, how many of those do you sell based on price? Because somebody coming into an Aston Martin dealership, they could care less. It's a showpiece. They want to be seen driving around the countryside and the Cotswolds in their Aston Martin. Yeah, there's, 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 there's a guy that lives in our town and he's got a, he's got a, I think it's a Porsche Boxster. He's got a personalized number plate on it. I hope he's not listening to this actually. But it's a, it's a, can you see, you can see my mouse. It's, it's like a light sky blue. Yeah. Uh, we, we're recording this on video. So uh, it's, it's that color. And it doesn't matter. As long as it isn't raining, he has the roof off. And uh, it's just, this, this guy is all about, he's driving this car because he wants to be seen in it. He wants to be seen with the roof off. He's got his personalized number plate because it's, it's all about status for him. The guy probably didn't bat an eyelid when the dealer mentioned the price. He, he's never going to shop on price. It's, it's status for him. But, so if we look at status as being a driver for people buying, what other things are, are, are drivers? Ah, great question. So convenience is a driver. How easy? How obtainable is it? Um, believability? Can I do this? Is it? Is it? Is there? Is it easy? Can anybody do this? Is a driver? If you look at uh, another driver, is uh, curiosity? Uh, like People Magazine, people picking up those or Us Weekly, those magazines or the National Enquirer, that's a big driver. That's why they're at the checkout counter of supermarkets because people want to know whose lives are worse off than their own. What crap is happening in somebody else's life? Is there, 
Are they in trouble? Are they getting divorced? What's going on with Brad, Ted, and Angeline Jolie? That's a massive driver. That's how you sell newspapers. Yeah, we, we've got one in the UK called the Daily Mail, which basically does yeah. that every single day. Right. So what do they have? Like a, a half-naked woman, a picture of a half-naked woman? Uh, some of the tabloids do, but that, not, not this one. This is, this is all a bit... And I don't, I don't want to go too much into politics, but it's all about mm -hmm. slightly right-wing uh, yeah. looking to blame someone for, for the woes of the country. Exactly. I mean, look at all the eyes on our current president here. Yeah. It's a brilliant marketer. Politics aside, the guy knows how to make headlines. And people just want to know what is the next dumb thing he's going to say or dumb thing he's going to do. <laughs> and how long before he gets booted out of office? <laughs> I mean, there are more eyeballs on CNN and Fox and Breitbart. And it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's I, funny because uh, I, I was thinking this exact thing a couple of weeks ago. Was, I used to get up in the morning and check my emails. Now, now I get up in the morning and check Twitter to see what Trump's been up to. <laughs> Look how much of your life is being taken away by what is happening. It's drama. Drama is a massive driver. More so than drama is melodrama, which is where one is the drama is you're, you're an observer, the melodrama, you're emotionally involved. And right now, along the planet, so many of us become more emotionally involved. Facebook, Instagram, I, Pinterest, I mean, it's all, it's so much melodrama. Yeah. You can look at any headlines. So when you become emotionally engaged, you've got to ask as a marketer or a copywriter standing back, what is it? What's the story? that's getting these people so darn hooked that they won't turn away. So here's the million or billion dollar question. How do you get that drama or melodrama into your marketing? Great question. And so for sale, you could do this very easily with email, with sales pages, sales letters, with video sales letters, any kind of video. When you know how to tell a story that taps into the human psyche, you've, you've won. You've really won. And it's all about, going back to your question, paying attention, what are those triggers? Why are people getting engaged? So when you know your audience, you know their pain points, and you can, have, and you can create a story, or you don't have to create one or make one up. It could be your own story. How do you, as a marketer, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, relate to your audience? And when your audience, and you see, oh my gosh, I'm doing the research, they went through exactly what I went through. And may not have been the same way, but they felt the same thing. And then it's a matter of learning how to craft the story so that your audience can relate to it. And once they buy into the story, once you help them to believe that they, that if you've found a way out of your problem and situation to become more successful, 
that tipping point, you've won them. And that's when they will follow you, they will listen to you, and they will buy from you. This is why uh, all the most successful internet marketers have either lived in a dumpster or lived, lived in their car or, or lived, in, lived in someone's sofa for six months. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people have been there at some point in their life. If they haven't done that, another success, if they've gone through some sort of um, life-threatening trauma, yep. most people have broken bones, have been in the hospital, have had to recover. They've gone through some family tragedy. That's the human condition. So when you take a step back and you look at how can I relate to my audience, how does, even though somebody might be struggling financially, and maybe I haven't struggled financially, but how can my, how, what happened in my life can hit the same emotional touch points as somebody who's going, that, that they're going through, how can I craft that and how can I relate that and communicate that in, the, in a language that's going to trigger something emotional in my audience? I remember reading, uh, reading a few months ago some, some Dan Kennedy stuff, and it was one of Dan Kennedy's seminars. And he, he, he talks about his battle, and he's quite open with this as well. He talks about his battle with alcoholism and the yeah. fact that he doesn't drink anymore. And he's, he's openly said that he uses that as a way to connect with his audience because so many people have that problem. Absolutely. I mean, alcoholism is a... It's a pervasive issue. It's a pervasive pain point. So you're coming out of that. Same thing for people who have, if you've had diabetes, if you've been in a car accident, if your child, if your baby's been sick, I mean, those are, those are high level emotional stakes. And the, the higher your emotional stakes are in your story, the more you're going to be able to connect with your audience when you know how to communicate to them. So can you recommend any resources for, for learning a bit more about this? Sure. There's, uh, there's some wonderful books. Um, I love uh, uh, Tell to Win by Peter Guber is terrific. Pitch Your Story in 60 Seconds by Michael Haig. He's a Hollywood uh, scriptwriter coach. Excellent. I also like... Um, Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull. Ed Catmull was the, uh, is the president of both uh, Pixar and Disney Animation. You want to talk about a successful storytelling company where you have to wrangle creatives and eccentrics and build a business out of them. Because as we know, you know, art and commerce a lot of times don't mix. Why are there a lot of broke artists out there or creatives out there, or writers? It's because... They don't know how to market or run a business. And here's a man who took the creative side of things in its infancy, which is Pixar, and brought together and knew how to wrangle them and create systems and organize. Creativity Inc. is a wonderful book. So you think the key is to, to get better at storytelling as, as opposed to, to getting better at, at, well, marketing, or you think they both go hand in hand? They are integral with each other. They go hand in hand. And if you want to get better at storytelling, start reading stories. Start reading fiction. Read the popular fictions out there, you know, the fiction novelists out there, whoever it is, whether it's in the women's space or the guy's space, doesn't matter. Your James Patterson's, your, um, your Lee Child's, the Jack Reacher books, 
uh, Pat Cornwall, you know, Amos for Murder, all, whatever it is. Read Harlequin Romances. Read the Westerns. You know, the science fiction. Read Stephen King. I mean, there's a reason that these books are so ubiquitous and why they're multi, multi-million dollar authors. Because they know how to tap into the human psyche by telling great stories. And when you pull back, I don't know if you ever heard of Masterclass, masterclass.com. It's fantastic. You want to learn great story? They have masterclasses that you could take. It costs you 90 bucks. And for 90 US dollars, you can see James Patterson do a masterclass on how to write a novel, on how to write great fiction, how to create great characters. You can see Aaron Sorkin, the most, one of the most prolific TV writers and screenwriters out there. He created West Wing and Newsroom, A Few Good Men, um, The American President, The Social Network. This is a man who's just unbelievably prolific and, and knows how to tell a great story. So spend 90 bucks and learn how to tell a good story. You can watch actors. These are people who take the words and act the stories out. They've got it with Kevin Spacey and Masterclass Dustin Hoffman. That, that's good. You're not Werner Herzog. Tell me, by the way, to read more fiction to be better at, at copywriting. Readers. You know, there's that cliche, you know, readers make great leaders. Yeah, I think I think I tend to read lots of business books. So I, re I read books on, 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 on copywriting and tend to, that's uh, a copy slacker by Ben Settle is something that I'm currently going through. But I think, yeah, definitely looking at fiction and trying to understand that is, is something that maybe we need, we need to all go on. Absolutely. I mean, John Carlton, one of the best screenwriters, I mean, best copywriters, uh, direct, mark, direct sales and direct marketing copywriters on the planet, said, read, read fiction. I love reading business books. I, marketing books on, on marketing and biography, autobiography. Um, but, you know, I got hooked on Lee Child on the Jack Reacher series, and I can't put these things down. I never thought it was happening. It's fantastic. This is, uh, this, there's a guy in the UK here called Paul Mort. He's, he's an old business mentor of mine when I have my personal training business. And that's what he, he does. He reads lots of Lee Child. And he's one of the best email marketing copywriters that, that I know. Yeah. And I think Ben loves reading fiction, yeah. too. So... Because it just gets the brain going, holy smokes. I mean, you can read and get lost in a story, and then you can read your fiction for, let's look at the words they're using. Why, is it, why am I feeling the way I'm, why am I so engaged and don't even realize that two hours have passed and I haven't looked up from the book? Well, <laughs> you, want, you, know, you want your marketing copy to do the same thing. Yeah. You want your people to watch that video, your audience to watch that video or read that sales letter to get from beginning to end to where they're going, oh, I got to click the buy button. I got to yeah. have this. And I've, I've done that so many times with, I've, I've been on sales copy. I think one of the first products I ever bought online was uh, one of Russell Brunson's. I, I can't remember what it was. It's probably gone back about nine years ago. And I, 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 I couldn't help myself but buy it. It was only it was like forty bucks, but 
by the time I'd got to this bottom of the sales page, I was like, re- I had my credit card out. I was ready to put it in. <laughs> and it was like, it, 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 it has just persuaded you to do that something you hadn't planned to do. Well, that's, I mean, that's the sign of, of, of great copy and great message. There's, that's the, that's the goal. Dean, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up, but do you want to, do you want to tell us where we can find you? uh, If anyone wants to reach out? Sure. You can find me at uh, onebigideamarketing.com and that's the numeral one, one, onebigideamarketing.com. Okay, that's cool. We'll, we'll make sure we get that in the uh, in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for coming on. Uh, this has been the Clarity Digital Marketing Show. See you guys next week. Cheers. You've been listening to the Clarity Digital Marketing Show with your host, Liam Thompson. Helping your business reach, influence, and attract more customers or clients online. For exclusive show notes or to connect with us, head over to our website, claritydigitalmarketing.com. Until next time.